Hi, this is Jenny Nash, founder and CEO of Author Accelerator. During the pandemic, there was an explosion of people who wanted to write memoir, and many of those writers are now struggling to make sense of their drafts and figure out how to approach the marketplace. It's a great time to be a book coach who specializes in memoir, and in March 2024, Author Accelerator is launching a certification course to give memoir coaches the skills, tools, and experience to meet writers where they are. Our year-long program is robust and intense. I'm inviting any listeners of this show who are interested in our coaching program to sign up for a one-on-one session with me to strategize about whether or not this course is right for you. Just go to bookcoaches.com backslash amwriting to sign up for a time that works for you. That's bookcoaches.com backslash amwriting. I look forward to chatting with you. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay. Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone and try to remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now one, two, three. Okay. Hey, welcome to the Hashtag Am Writing Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about all writing all the stuff. Long things, short things, proposals, queries, poetry, fiction, nonfiction, all the things. This is more than anything else, the podcast about getting the work done. We also sometimes talk about speaking, and this is Jess Leahy. I'm the author of The Gift of Failure and The Addiction Inoculation, and um, have been a columnist at the New York Times, and wrote for The Atlantic and The Washington Post, and all those places, and I spend a fair amount of time on the road these days speaking. I do a lot of speaking at schools and community organizations, whether it's about my first book, The Gift of Failure, or my second book, The Addiction Inoculation. More often than anything else these days, I'm doing a combination of the two. I call it um, (laughs) the talk about speaking uh, the talk about substance use prevention for people who don't want to talk about substance use prevention. It's essentially gift of failure with the substance use prevention mixed in. And at one of these talks, I ran into a woman named Katie Kinder. She is an educator. She was about to do a panel on um, called 50 and 50. It was called, it was for AccuTrain. It's a professional development organization that does events around uh, professional development in education. And Katie was up there doing this really cool 50 and 50 event, which is 50 engagement tips in 50 minutes. She was a part of a panel and she just sparkled up on stage. And she and I got talking after she attended my keynote and we got talking about speaking. And I said, look, this is something that needs to happen in a phone call. I agreed to do a coaching phone call with her and we thought it would be cool if we recorded it so that all of you can benefit from our coaching phone call. I will also put Katie's information up in the show notes that you can find at Substack, at our Substack. So I hope you enjoy this. I hope it's useful. Some of it we've talked about on the podcast before. Some of it we haven't. So enjoy. It sounds like we started in interestingly similar places. So so I was in the classroom teaching middle school, very, very busy, but I was also blogging because, you know, A, I'm a writer and I was just looking for that outlet. I had written a book that was awful, as every first book is really. I mean, that one that should never see the light of day. Although I did take it apart, it was a it was a book of essays, and so it was pretty easy to take apart and uh, sell some of them to magazines. So I did that. Um, you know, made a hundred bucks here, a hundred bucks there for chapters, that kind of thing. 
But I didn't know what I was going to write about next. And my husband was like, well, you know, teaching has always been what lights you up inside. So why don't you write about that? And I said, well, you know, no one's interested in that. Like, who's going to read that? So I just started um, and I was on Twitter at the time and starting to, you know, I think I had a couple hundred followers or something like that. But I started blogging just about what I was doing in the classroom. And if you go to my blog and you go way back, <laughs> you'll see some of that stuff, which was about like, you know, the books I teach. There's a essay in there on teaching romantic poetry and just sort of stuff like that. And just kind of exploring what this could be. Somehow my blogs got the attention of some people, but the first one was I was asked to write for a blog for the Core Knowledge Foundation, which worked out for me because I was at a Core Knowledge school. Um, so I started doing that, and then more people started seeing it from there. And then I had wanted to write on, you know, just what I was observing with overparenting and parents rescuing their kids and undermining learning opportunities and that kind of thing. But I didn't. I hadn't done any of the research yet. I just knew something was off. And what I was hearing from my students was something was off too. And then a study came out of Australia. And it's the, so all of this led to this piece that I wrote. And I'm like, yeah, I think this is bigger than my blog. So I asked some friends and one of them happened to know Helene Olin. And Helene Olin is a wonderful writer. And she had a connection at the Atlantic. And so I sent it over there. And within a couple of days, it was up on the Atlantic. And that one also, that one went viral. And that's what led to the gift of failure. But the speaking stuff started when the first offer I got for speaking, interestingly, was, you know, I had this column at the New York Times called the Parent Teacher Conference. And I wrote a piece about the fact that my kids as, you know, non-religious you know, not really having a tradition of coming of age ceremonies, I sort of came up with my own because I thought there were certain skills my kids were going to need to know going forward as they became, you know, young adults. So I wrote that piece and then I got an ask to speak for the Jewish Education Foundation about sort of, they had a whole day conference on exploring coming of age ceremonies. And I'm like, you know, what am I going to talk about? And essentially I talked about my experience of my kids and and those that article and why I thought it was important for there to be some sort of you know threshold between childhood and young adulthood and all that sort of stuff and I didn't know even what to ask for for, like they asked me if I would speak and what's my fee and I'm like I have no like I I have no basis to make any kind of even guess so at that point, I did not have a literary agent, but I had been chasing Lori Abkemeyer, who's now my agent for almost a decade at that point. And I asked her, and she was, she's always been so kind, even though we <laughs> she turned down all of my, my queries, she still has been available to ask questions every once in a while. And she's like, you know, I don't know, ask for $5,000 if it's a keynote. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, what am I going to lose? Except maybe the event or they'll laugh at me or something. But it turns out that's not what happened. What they said was, respectfully, that's larger than our budget. But how about, I don't know, it was something like, it was less than $2,000 and put you up for a night in a cheap hotel, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that and that was the start. And, Mm. you know, since then, uh, you know, a lot of it came from that wasn't going to lead to any sort of other thing except maybe speaking for Jewish foundations or like anyone who saw me, you know, there, there was no education link kind of thing. So essentially what happened was once Gift of Failure sold, I knew I wanted a speaking career. I have, I love 
that process. It's teaching, but on a larger stage. It's also theater. I wrote a piece for The Atlantic about Teller from Penn & Teller. He used to be a teacher as well. He was a Latin teacher. And about how uh, teaching is theater also. I mean, you know, so much of what we know about how we get kids, the learning center of the brain to engage has to be, it, it comes from an emotional place. It comes from a place of connection. It comes from a place of trust. It comes from lots of different places. But in order to get those learning centers to turn on, and this is the work of Mary Helen Imerdino Yang out at USC, in order to get those places to turn on, there has to be some emotional connection to the material. And that's part of our job is to deliver that. And then on a, on the larger stage, it's even harder because you've got more diversity of, you know, the opinion that are there. And anyway, so I love it. And I've always been involved in theater and all that sort of stuff. So I just love the speaking. I knew I wanted that to be a part of what um, came out of this book, hopefully. So I sold the book. And at the same time, I started working on making this a book. I sort of saw this as a book that would be a great Um, community read for schools, like an all-school read or an all-community read or whatever. And so I basically started creating a letter, a personalized letter. I always tried to tweak it so it was always personal to principals. And I started making a spreadsheet of contacts. And I just started with, you know, 20 mile radius of various cities I could fly to. And so by the time the gift of failure was ready to come out, I had self-funded my book tour. So I spent like a week in California the week after my book came out and did a whole bunch of different talks there. And almost all of them, is it all of them? All of them were paid in some, you know, to some degree. And some of them were like, you know, common ground around San Francisco. Some of them were individual schools. I basically looked up, what I did at that point was I went to various speakers slash writers that I really admire and looked at their list of past events. And then I just, I think for mine, my model was Madeline Levine, like pick someone you admire, Madeline Levine all the way. And, and she's a very accomplished speaker. She does a lot of speaking. She's been everywhere, mainly on her like price of privilege stuff. And then look to see where she's spoken and then make a spreadsheet with the contact information you know, for the people at those schools. And the problem is the the <laughs> your spreadsheet is going to fall out of, uh, it's not going to be current for very long because administrators sure. tend to move sure. a lot. But, you know, pick a mix of public and private and all that sort of stuff and, and create your spreadsheet and then just start. You can send a letter, you can send, the nice thing is with email, you know, you can create all the links. It's more likely to get tossed though. So what I do now So that just got things started, okay? And then from there, you're counting on word of mouth. You ask for testimonials. If it's possible to be videoed, you know, like at the TEDx conference, you know, so for me, that's like South by Southwest EDU or um, uh, Amley or, you know, any place that has good recording, um, ask if you can have access to that and link it on your website, all that sort of stuff. That's going to be important. Testimonials are important. So from there, some smart things to do are, Keep really, really good uh, files. This is my, the way I do my organization of my, all my contacts with schools is a little, uh, you know, wouldn't be what everyone does, but it works really well for me. So on my computer, which is a Mac, I have under mail, I have a mailbox called speaking. And inside of that, I have a subfolder for schools and I have a subfolder for organizations. I could probably put them all together 
but it makes more sense to me this way. And then underneath schools, I have states. And then inside those states, sometimes like California, I have like Bay Area, LA, Santa Barbara, that kind of thing. And then inside of those, I have the name of the school. So that allows me to really quickly see my history of correspondence with that school. So like eight years out, I can say, hey, there was interest about eight years ago for gift of failure. At the time, you didn't have the funds. Here's who I spoke to. Here was who was the head of the PTA at that point and sort of renew that that link. The other thing, yeah. And that also works in conjunction with the spreadsheet. So now what I have is a master spreadsheet with tabs for all of the, whether it's a city, it's really cities or regions. So let's say I'm going to speak in Nashville. What I will do is I will ask if it's okay if I invite school leaders from their area. So for example, and let's dump Nashville. Um, I'm going to Santa Barbara soon. So in Santa Barbara, I'm doing two talks. I'm doing one on the gift of failure and one on substance use prevention. And what I've done is I've emailed pretty much within like a 30 mile radius, maybe a little bit more, I looked up and created a tab on my spreadsheet and looked up all of the school leaders that I could find, superintendents, principals, and independent school heads. And I write each one individually, an email. I introduce myself, explain what I do. And then for some of them, the most likely candidates, I also send, I say at the end of the email, and I'm to, my books are on their way to you in case you haven't had a chance to read them. Um, and I send signed copies with a personalized note. So for example, if a school and you know school heads in independent school world tend to move around a lot and we everybody seems to know each other and inevitably they've probably either been at a school where I've spoken or I have some connection. So anytime I can create that connection, I'll look up um, on LinkedIn can be really helpful to see like where they've taught before, where they've been before. Does this take up a massive amount of time? Absolutely. But let's think about this for a second. If my Santa Barbara, my Santa Barbara talks fund one more talk, time-wise, I've sort of recouped the investment of my time and definitely recouped the investment of sending out books. But I also, you know, it's tax time and I know how much I spent on books and postage last year and it was thousands of dollars. So at a certain point, Maybe the email is enough, um, linking all the, but you're also going to get people like, who's this? I don't know you. Or please remove me from your list, you know, kind of thing. Um, On the other hand, you know, I've gotten emails like, yeah, I'm absolutely interested. I can't go, but I'm sending my counselor. So for example, I just got an inquiry from someone based on about six months ago, I invited them to my talk. They couldn't come, but they sent someone else or they did go and they didn't tell me they were coming because sometimes that happens too. And and now I have an invitation to go speak at that other place. So planning ahead, that's you know really, really important. It sort of generates next year's things. The other thing is I try really, really hard to introduce them to other authors and speakers that I love. And again, that means that I either invest in or ask the publicist of authors that I whose books I really respect to send me copies. So for example, I'll go to, let's use Madeline Levine as the example because we already talked about her. 
you know, I'll have a, I have, I have a cabinet over across the room where I have a lot of copies of a lot of books that I really, really love. And so when I go to my talks, I'm always talking about other people's work. And sometimes I'll take with me, like, let's say three or four books that I'm going to give away during my book signing. And I say, you know, come along and, and uh, if you come to the book signing and you have a particular interest in one of these books, you know, you can have it for free. I also have my book in other languages. So I try to take at least two other languages with me. If I'm going to, you know, Chicago, for example, I look up, you know, Chicago diaspora and see sort of what um, languages might be present there. And then I'll take, you know, a couple of those languages with me. So I'm always thinking about the next step, even if that means that like, so everyone will always say, okay, so you said you had a list of people that you really recommend. Could you give that to me? So for example, I just spoke at a school in Florida. I highly recommended this one person. I think that person's going to be going next year. And that's also part of my reputation as well. Is if he does really well, which he will, and he's great, then, um, you know, that sort of creates this wonderful goodwill. And, and you know, you're also supporting other authors, I think is just... So, so, so important. And there's so much great work out there that doesn't get seen, especially more, you know, academic stuff uh, and things that just coming out of an academic press that may not be visible on other people's radar. Anyway, so that's sort of the big picture. So what I spend a lot of my time doing now is figuring out, trying to open up my brain and think less in a less rigid fashion about who my audience is. Try to think more flexibly flexibly in a more flexible fashion (laughs) so like okay coaches pastors mentors in like head start programs you know that kind of thing um big brothers big sisters maybe if your book if your book is like the gift of failure and it's about mentoring kids and helping kids take more chances and make mistakes and get out of this sort of anyway there's lots of ways that you need to be thinking about your book to look for more audiences because you're going to have to comp- to reinvent yourself from time to time the gift of failure has been out since 2015 and it's still selling roughly depends on the season um there's a ebb and flow of book sales but generally speaking it's still selling really really well and i think most of that according to my former editor at harper um a lot of that is due to the speaking so you know i'm headed to so it's always part of my contract that a book sale and signing will happen at my event and that can either happen by going to a local independent bookseller, which is my preferred way to make this work. And it works great for them because they can, they have, you know, they're going to go to this event and my sell through rate is somewhere around 30%. So if there's a hundred people there, I'll sell about 30 books. And then on top of that, I'll add maybe five books that I'm going to be talking about during my talk so that they can sell those as well. Uh, And that tends to work really, really well. Or I can send them to my publisher and they can buy books in bulk at a discount and sell them either at a profit to make money for the PTA, or they can give them away as is hap- as has happened before for nonprofits sometimes. And then, this is really important, I'm so grateful for the people that pay my full fee because it's a lot of money, right? Yeah. So what I do is I make it really clear to the people that pay my full fee that what they're also financing through their full fee is that for every five or so of my full fee event, I do a pro bono, including the books event for like a Title I school or a school that wouldn't be able to invite me otherwise. So it's up to you. It could be every five, every 10, whatever your thing is. Those can be really tough to pull together, but it's really, really worth it when it goes off well. Do you find that there's still 
little bit of a glass ceiling. Yeah. Uh, in the in the speaking world, and what's your opinion and how to break break it? <laughs> Not gender based, but yes. So, most of my good friends that speak in this arena are women, and okay. there's a couple of men, but most of them are women. There's one, two, three, maybe five men to every. 15 women. Really? Okay. The really important part of this is that I have a group of friends and we share our fees. So, for example, if I get invited somewhere and they're like, look, our top budget is X, I go to that group and I'd say, has anyone spoken there before and what did you get? That allows us to have that knowledge because the way, yes, I work with a speaking agency, but often what will happen is, is if it's below a certain threshold, like if, they're, if their budget is lower than a certain point, it's not worth it time-wise for my agent to be involved. So it gets kicked back to me. So then I'm back to doing my own negotiations, sometimes just from a place of, look, this is our ceiling. Um, and I do those all the time. I'm doing yeah. one in, you know, I'm doing one soon for a friend because her, her kids go to school there and she's been super supportive of my work. And so, yeah, I'm doing that for her. So we talk to each other. We know where others have spoken. We recommend each other. Again, like a lot of, you know, I'll get an email saying, hey, I just recommended you at X school. I'm going to probably introduce you by email later on this week, that kind of thing. So that really helps. And then we'll t we can talk about the speaking agency thing if you want to. But a lot of this comes out of how can I help you how to fit if you're a lowball offer and you're not working with my agency, how can I help you figure out where funds are? As you well know, often professional development funds are in a separate budget or, you know, are separate from like maybe what the parent association can afford in the evening. But if you work, put the parent association and the administration together and you say, look, I can do professional development in the afternoon for the teachers and do speaking in the evening um, to the community, great. And, you know, one price point above that, um, although it's a bigger leap, is speaking to the students during the day, the PD in the afternoon, and the community in the evening. And the reason that works so well is I can close the communication loop, um, prep, the st prime the students with, like, I statements and how to talk to your parents about difficult subjects, things that make you nervous. And I can prime the parents to be ready to listen for those communications. Like, if your kid comes to you, with a mom, when you do X, it makes me feel Y kind of statement, that's because they listened and this is really important to them and I need for you to listen. And it also gets us on the same page in terms of vocabulary. Also keep in mind, that's exhausting. And so I just, I just did a talk in Florida where I did, I spoke to the middle school, I spoke to the high school, I had lunch with the administration, I spoke to the teachers I spoke, sometimes I'll even do like if they have a journalism class or an English class and, and since I'm there anyway, you know, why not go in and ask questions about the publishing industry or working in journalism or whatever. That's super fun. So I always include yeah. that. Um, and then the community in the evening and sometimes they want to take you to dinner and, you know, that's exhausting. That's exhausting. You're at the school from, you know, seven o'clock in the morning until seven o'clock at night and um, just know you'll be in a coma by the end of that. That's the other thing is when I'm on the road, my job on the road is to stay healthy, especially if I have a string of talks. So naps, eating well, all that sort of stuff um, is really important. And I don't sleep very well in hotels. So that often means that a nap in the afternoon is the way that I stay healthy. So Yeah, that's all really 
<laughs> just things that you don't think about. Like it's hard to eat healthy when you're yeah trying. You're in an airport or when yeah. Uh, you're in a hotel, or you have to switch hotels. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And some, well, and then figuring out also, you know, the the other side of the speaking thing is like, you know, when you're negotiating, is you know, does this include accommodation? Does this include my food and that sort of stuff along the way? Yeah. Does this include the airfare? What kind of airfare? You know, that sort of stuff is all an important part of the negotiation too. Um, you know, you can do all inclusive, or you can do you know reimbursement yeah. for stuff, and then. That so that adds a little twist to it, and I'll send you I'll send you my contracts so you can see what they look like. Okay. Um, you know I'm they're contracts that I've sort of developed over time. A really short contract. The contract from my speaking agency is a little more detailed and stuff like that, just to, for them. Okay. So okay, well, and I I've, I don't want to be the speaker that like I lost a couple gigs because of snow. Yeah. The other. Um, yeah. And it was it was a couple and for me as a as a budding speaker as as new to this and trying to break in and I feel like it's going to happen I have gotten some you're really- no you're really dynamic on stage you really like immediately eyes are drawn to you on stage and so I think just in terms of having that factor of like being able to hold attention you're you've got that so. You know, and and the tips you gave were really great. And I, you know, I'm really excited to see more of your speaking because when you're being paid to do an hour long talk, it can't just be a dump, a data dump. It can't be PowerPoint slides, a lot of them. It has to be, it has to have a narrative arc. It has to have a callback. It has to have the stuff that you're really good at as a teacher. Like there's a reason I stand in one place when I talk about autonomy and another place when I talk about competence and another place when I talk about connection because I'm giving visual cues to ideas, which enter, as you know, all this stuff, right? So some of our best teaching tools work really great for those more narrative arc type of things, but but it takes tons of practice. And just for your information, I still try one new thing every talk. So that it flops, it's only one small thing, right? And I can yeah. cut it or I can use it in the future, that kind of thing. So anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you're definitely no, no, no. You I want all of, I want all of your information. <laughs> I want you're just this powerhouse and I am I look up to you and the fact that you know, I reached out. You came to Fifty and Fifty on stage, and then you we took a picture, which was so fun. And then the fact that I I reached out to you and said, you know, I would love some tips, and tricks, and and things to do, and and look at it different. And the fact that you said yes, and that you're on a call right now, <laughs> it's just it's so complicated, and it's not. In fact, it happened this morning. Someone's been emailing me about speaking stuff in a different topic from yours. And I'm like, this is just too complicated for an email. We have to do this in a call. And so that's the other reason I thought to record it for the podcast is we talk about this stuff all the time. Um, but it's a lot. It's just a lot. It is. And I'm, I'm a big, like, turn around and help her, too, because it wasn't long ago that she was you, and which I'm going to cry. And I, I appreciate that because I have had a giant speaker uh, who I really admire and who I will not say names, but I reached out to her and was just like, you are awesome. Like, can, is there any way? And not only did she, res- she responded, but it was basically like, why would I help you? Because then it would be less business for me. And I'm like, I was just, I was so just like 
my heart because I just looked up to this person so much and I'm just like, there's enough space for all of us. Okay, carry this through with you. Okay. My book, The Gift of Failure, was supposed to come out in 2014 and I found out halfway through I was writing Gift of Failure that there was another book on the same topic set to come out the following year. My book got delayed for various reasons. I've talked on the website, both a head injury and it was just, the book was a disaster. We needed another year. Um, so then this other book on the same topic by Julie Lithcott-Hames called How to Raise an Adult was coming out just ahead of my book because mine wasn't coming out till August and hers was coming out in June, I think. So Julie and I, we have a student in common. So Julie Lithcott-Hames and I got together and we're like, look, if people, we can do this one of two ways. We could compete for the same readers or we could join forces because generally speaking, if people can buy one book, they can buy two, that kind of thing. And Julie and I have been each other's greatest cheering section for, and we were right next to each other on the bestseller list. You know, it was just this really interesting and Julie sort of has her turf and I have my turf, although we cross over all the time. Have I lost events to Julie? Oh, absolutely. Has she lost events to me? Absolutely. But we've done events together. We've recommended each other ad nauseum over and over and over again. And now Julie's off doing a whole other thing in a whole other direction. And I'm doing things in a slightly different direction. And yet we continue to cheer each other on. So I don't have time for that bullshit of, you know, there's right. only so right. much room on this stage because that's just not true. There right. are, especially when it comes to professional development and quality professional development, that's not true. It's just not true. I, I, I absolutely agree. And, I, and I'm just grateful to you because you were on the Armchair Expert, which is my favorite <laughs> when I am on the road. And... Uh, when you said that to me, I almost like fainted because I remember your episode. I remember plugging in. So I just, uh, the fact that you said, yes, I will help you. Yeah. And I promised to send the elevator back down too. I promise. Well, uh -huh. here's the other thing. On Thursday of this week, I'm interviewing AJ Jacobs, who's one of my favorite writers about his, uh, his uh, forthcoming book. And years ago, I wrote A.J. Jacobs to say, I'm such a fan. You write exactly the kind of thing I would love to write. And he wrote back. And A.J. is so generous. And so in my head, and anyone who listens to the podcast on the regular knows this, in my head, it's like, okay, what would A.J. do? And A.J. would absolutely respond. And sometimes I have to respond and say, you know, whether it's a question I get at a talk that's outside of my wheelhouse or beyond my ability to answer the question, I say, I can't answer this question, but here's who might be able to, or here's the book you might be able to go to. And, you know, occasionally I have to say, I just... I can't do this given time constraints and all that sort of stuff. Sure. But when it comes to, um, I just, I love the process of rustling up speaking engagements, the PR, the marketing. It's like treasure hunting. It's like detective work. Like how do I best position myself? And, and some of that comes to like, there's all sorts of layers to it. You know, branding is part of it too. And then, you know, the outreach and all that sort of stuff. And you have to be good at the outreach. And you'll know if you're not, because people will just not respond ever. Although it's hard to know, because sometimes people don't get back to you if you're annoying and tell you how annoying you are, although sometimes they do. Um, you have to have this sort of like middle ground approach that works well. And yeah. Sure, sure. Well, and it's just like, I like how you say that because 
as teachers, and I go into buildings and I say this to teachers, I'm like, we need every last one of us. Like, if I'm not connecting with a kid the way yeah. that I need to, I need yeah. Jessica to, I need Teacher Leahy to, I need uh, the coach down the hall to, like, I need, we need each other. Right. And, like, so we shouldn't, so, and, and I like this on an even bigger scale, like, you know, I don't, I don't have that in my wheelhouse, but I know who does. Yeah. So that is really powerful. Yeah. I'm very grateful. I'm very Good. grateful. Uh, Do you want to know anything about the speaking agency thing? Okay. So I, I'm in like some bureaus. And okay. Um, so you have what's called a non-exclusive agreement with those yes. bureaus. Right. But mostly I get a, a couple things a year maybe from mm-hmm. them but it's not like i am hustling and doing my right. own like they reach out to me i you know send that's going to be that generally speaking that's going to be the case even if you have an exclusive agreement so i've had an exclusive agreement with american Pro- program bureau for i don't know how many years now specifically because when i went around to schools uh, especially schools but other places as well and said you know, have you hired speakers through speaking agencies? And if so, who are your favorites and who are your least favorites? Like, who do you not want to work with again? And who do you like working with? And so I was able to cross off a bunch of them right off the bat off my list because they were like, I hate working with this agency. And then, and I'll tell you privately which ones those are. And then, and then because Michelle Feesmith at American Program Bureau came up as the one that everybody loved working with, that's who I had a long conversation over a couple of years. It took us a couple of years to sort of figure out if we were going to do it or not do it. And so just signing with APB did not mean that all of a sudden I had a lot more invites. That's not how it worked. You, uh, Most of what I get these days is still due to my hustle. And I think people have this, you know, this vision that they're going to sign with the Speaking Bureau and that Speaking Bureau is going to go to the mat for them. But American Program Bureau has lots and lots of education speakers. And it's not their job to get me all of my events. It's their job to negotiate events and they use one rate for events that I bring to them and one rate for um, events that they bring to me. So the hustle can be worth it. But that's how I get uh, that's how I get. Well, and anything that I have gotten, and I've been doing this on my own for about a year and a half, so Mm -hmm. I'm still pretty new. Yep. But uh, anything I have gotten has come from crushed on stage and word of mouth. Right. But you've given me some things that I really can start putting into practice on those days where... I sometimes have a hard time working from home because I'm like, well, the laundry and then right, right. dogs and the, and then these kids want to eat every night and like, <laughs> you know, all of that. And so sometimes I'll go somewhere else just to like sit and get away from my house that has all of the demands on me right. as a mom and a wife and a business owner. And, and so you've given me some practical things to like sit down and do. And I am so grateful. So moving forward also as an education speaker, and we talked about this a little bit, is I am no longer in the classroom. My cred as an education speaker comes from the fact that I was in the classroom. So it's really a difficult line to walk. So you have to stay. If you're going to leave the classroom, if you're going to be out of the classroom for any you know amount of time, you have to stay up on all the research on what's Absolutely. happening because my ability to be helpful 
is only only extends as far as my ability to discuss what's out there. And that has to do with substance use prevention, too. Like, that book's over. I still do a lot of talking about it. There was a period of time where I'm like, I cannot research this for one more minute. I'm so tired of it. But I have to. It's sort of like a physician who needs to keep reading journals in order to stay open to, Absolutely. you know, all the new stuff. So, yeah. Well, I think one of the things that I have on my menu is that I will come into your class and I will teach a Socratic seminar to your students. I'm a certified educator. Nice, yeah. And uh, so I think a lot of people are, maybe not a lot, I don't know, but there are some that would be terrified to do that. But I love it. Yeah. There are also people where that's their wheelhouse is look at like Tracy Zager, for example. She's a she is a teacher for math teachers like she talks and her book is called um, Becoming the Math Teacher You Wish You'd Had. And mm-hmm. it's it might even just be Becoming the Teacher You Wish You Had. But I think it's the math teacher. I love, love, love that book. And Tracy's whole thing, her speaking world is that teaching the teachers and math education. It's like Joe Bowler and uh, Tracy mm-hmm. Zager. Uh, that's what they do. And that's, you know, that's a really rich um, area too in terms of very specific professional development. So for example, if your specialty is a, like Socratic, then definitely talk that up and make it really clear that that's an area of specialty for yours, but that it can be one offering of 10 and make sure in your menu on your website that all of make, and this is a little bit like pitching yourself for a television show or a radio spot, do all of the work for the producer. Here's what it'll look like. You know, you don't have to look at the cost out there because that can be a part of the negotiation, but here's what it'll look like. Here's what I'll provide. Here's, you know, you can see sort of have that paragraph of what's going to happen with the gift of failure stuff. I'm like, here's what it can look like as a community read. Here's what it could look like after I leave so that you continue the conversation. You could have, here's the book club guide for my book that I wrote, you know, that kind of thing. Actually, I didn't write them. I paid some research assistants to essentially summarize my book as research as a book group guide. But that having that has been really great. Having your speaking bibliography is really great because then you can talk up other authors and, you know, it's sort of, here's a, a, the up-to-date version of all of my favorite resources when it comes to math education or, you know, formative assessment or whatever. And that's a really popular tool that I put out there a lot. And then access to you. So, you know, even now, everyone in the audience gets my email and I prioritize as much as I can. The um, I answer one question every day from a listener, from a reader, whatever. And that's just part of my schedule. Every single day I answer one question. I'm way behind, but it's it's really, if I make that promise, I, I have to fulfill that promise. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's like what we tell kids, like, don't say something that you don't mean, right? Don't, <laughs> don't tell kids. Uh, and I tell teachers that all the time. Like, don't don't say you're going to do it, not yeah. do it. <laughs> that's why I used to have a plan. I used to have a, for a little index card on the front of my plan book. And that index card that I swapped out every day was like questions I need answers to or something I said I'd research or a to-do for tonight. And you have to always come back to, especially when you're working at at at-risk kids who are not used to trusting adults, you have to do what you said you were going to do or, yeah. 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 Yeah, And they're like, well, yeah, because I worked in a, the third most violent neighborhood in Oklahoma City is Mm -hmm. my student population. And, and I love them and they are precious and they are wonderful and they are smart and they are worthy and kind and they often find themselves in a cycle of poverty that is hard to get out of unless they have you or me mm-hmm. or or the teachers you know so 
um, I tell the teachers that are working with those types of populations, like you have to show up and you have to, you have to earn that trust. And it is, it's not easily earned, but when you have it, gosh, you can do so much for them. There's a really great book by this woman named Valerie Mahomes, and it's about hope being the thing that can help break intergenerational poverty. And, you know, I mean, I know that can sound kind of flippant, but she's she's writing from, she really knows what she's talking about. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. I think it's on my bibliography. So is there anything else that we're missing that you need to know about? I I just want to get my bookings up. I think I Mm -hmm. should be... I'm going to manifest it here. I'm going to, I want to be kicking up districts every day in August. Yeah. I want to get Those are really fun. The sort of like, yeah, my job is to convey knowledge, background, research, blah, blah, blah. But also my job is to get people excited about what they do and to reinvigorate that. Like, here's why teachers, man, we're the best kind of thing. Yeah. And I, those, those August sessions are really fun. Really cool. Yeah. Really cool. And then again, I, mean, I did some stuff in January. I lost some things in January because of snow. And they were like, do you want us to pay half? And I just was like, no, actually, I would rather you put me at the top of your list for the next time you have, you know, and my husband, who's an accountant, God bless him. He's cute. Um, and, but he's like very pragmatic when it comes to money. Like, yeah, they should pay you half. And yeah. I'm like, you know, I don't think so. Like, so I, I will tell you officially what I've done in the past. I've had events that haven't run. One, because there was a Houston flooded. Uh, uh, no, no. Houston had no water. A water main broke at one school. I think I got paid my full fee for that because I did most of it. I did like 70% of the event, but not the whole thing. They just paid me. But then another one, (laughs) the power went out citywide when I was uh, at an event and there was no, we just couldn't do it. I mean, I offered to do it by like iPhone flashlight, but because the fire alarms wouldn't work because of code stuff, they couldn't let me do it. So they brought me in a second time. So sure. Yeah, and so they just didn't pay me, and then we just rescheduled it for the following year. Yeah, and yeah. that's what I would rather. I would rather be known as that that, that type of person, right, right? And and that type of speaker. So, but I am just trying to get bookings up, and and it's kind of, you know, I don't. I think I I maybe hit my teacher's salary last year. That was always my goal. I said I can quit teaching. As long as I can, my teaching salary was so low. It was such such a low bar to clear. But for me, it's always been, I'm going to say this number and you're going to be like, really? If I clear $40,000 a year, which is what I was getting paid my last year teaching, it's so humiliating. It was just, you know, that's my bar. Then I could, I could do another year. That's what, like this year I was, we're looking at it and of course, then this is when the accountant does come in and is very helpful and useful. And and he'll just be like, okay, like, let's look at the expenses. Yeah. And this year, I'm going to have to, like, I threw out a wide net. I was just like, yeah. I'll go to this conference for free and see if I can make something happen. I'll go here, I'll go here. And my expenses were a little out of control. Right. And so half of what I made in a teacher's salary went to expenses. And so right. I, I needed that's that's a thing that I need to kind of pull back on and so I'm hopeful and that it's gonna it's gonna go and I and think about think about the fact that you know flying you there costs a lot of money putting you up costs a lot of money so I do a mix of in-person and virtual events I can take less for my virtual events because I don't leave Mm -hmm. my house and we've really fine-tuned how those work too and I'm happy to go into that on another call sort of like how 
and make those work to the, you know, what what we learned during COVID, essentially, and what we've learned sure. since then in fine-tuning them. Also, there's the question of, do you let them record you or not? And how, what do they do with that recording afterwards? Um, you know, there's a, a cow milk situation. So for me, I, I will allow recording with permission um, as long as it's available either for a limited period of time or password protected or it's not searchable or you have to use the registration link in order to view it and we ask them not to spread the you know that kind of thing so that's part of it as well but what we found with the virtual events is that a certain number of people will show up live but then we get a really solid percentage of people who watch after the fact on the mm-hmm. on and it's been I've seen 60 40 70 30 uh, you know that's all feedback I'm getting from the schools so like most people show up at live but then a, a significant percentage watch after and when it comes to the substance use prevention stuff I don't care how I get them I just want yeah. people hearing the information Absolutely. Well, I appreciate this and no I problem. absolutely want you to release this as a podcast. Cool. And so we Do you want to introduce on. yourself? Hold on. Introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Katie Kinder, and I am an educator, speaker, teacher, instructional coach. And, and what's I'm your book called? It's called Untold Teaching Truths. That's my first one. And my other one is called Holy Leadership. Okay. And that one, that one just came out. And I've been loving on the teachers nationwide. I would love to come and see you. <laughs> I will link to your books and your website in the show notes. Um, if we do decide to put this out and, um, yeah, it's like I said, it's, we need each other in order to figure out how to not get lowballed, how to not be plastered up against a glass ceiling, how to, you know, think about who else might be out there needing to hear what we have to say. And people who have been in the classroom and also know the research on learning and also are able to convey that information in such a way that teachers feel less alone and that teachers feel empowered and supported, um, it's a really magical thing. And, and you've got that spark. And, and I really think that you'll be great at this. Oh, thank you. That means so much. So great at this. <laughs> cool. So I so next steps. I'm going to send you what my basic contract looks like in case you want to look at yours. Mine is obviously not legal advice. It's I'm not a lawyer. I will also send you like one of my outreach letters just to see so you can see what kind of tone I strike with that. And then... I will get your books and I need to... I and, will, well, let me send you my books. Let okay. me send you a Katie Kinder package. Okay, that would be great. Because I need you to have some fake glasses. Oh, excellent. Books. I like it. So I like I've it. So I've been throwing those out because these started to become an unintentional brand. Yeah, of course. And so I got uh, I got fake glasses that they don't have lenses. It's so funny because <laughs> one, one of my uh attendees came up to me. Because the people, I guess, especially at conferences, are like, I need some of those. Yeah, they're really they're, good. They're fake. Listeners, and, we're talking about some turquoise glasses that she's wearing. And actually, they are really good on her. And they're one of the first things I noticed when I heard her speak as well. So, so yeah, so I throw those out. And so then I had an attendee come up just a couple of days ago and and poke my like, no, no, I said, no, 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 mine aren't real. Yeah. So one of the things you need to think about is if that becomes an unintentional branding, you need to be using that color. For example, Serena Bowen, who hosts this pod, the Hashtag Am Writing podcast as well, she's always thinking in terms of like colorscapes for a series, colorscapes for her website. How are these books going to look on, you know, 
we always need to be thinking about that. And, you know, when the addiction inoculation was going to print, we're like, okay, covers. And I said, well, let's key into the red from The Gift of Failure. And if I do a next book, well, when I do a next book, you know, it's like, okay, do we stick with the blue that was already in Gift of Failure that didn't appear in Addiction Inoculation just so the three are cohesive? You know, is my website still looking good for what it is? You know, you got to be constantly thinking about like, okay, how can I use these things so that when people see this color, they get this mental sort of flashback to your glasses or you or how it made you feel when you spoke to them. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. You're so welcome. You're so, so welcome. Anytime, email me and let's stay in touch. And and, um, the more I know about your, your speaking and the more I've seen of it, the better I'm going to be able to recommend you to other people. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for this week's Hashtag Am Writing Podcast. As always, I hope we flattened the learning curve for you. And until next week, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. Hashtag Am Writing podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work.